Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Design Curious Podcast. Today on the show, I have Liz Toombs, who is a designer with a very interesting niche. She designs for the Greek life. She does primarily sorority houses, and you'll hear all about that in our conversation, how she got into that, and how she uses her niche to market and connect with people all over the country. So let me tell you a little bit about Liz. She is known as the go-to decorator for sorority interiors on college campuses. The work of Tombs and the PDR Interiors team can be seen on over 80 campuses spread across 22 plus states. A leader in the decorating industry for nearly two decades, Tombs is a graduate of the University of Kentucky and an alumna of Alpha Gamma Delta. Mentoring women is a keystone of PDR, something Tombs learned to value through her fraternity experience. Helping to preserve that experience for current and future members of women's organizations is what drives Tombs to focus on sorority housing projects. In addition to PDR's vast work in Greek housing, the firm also offers comprehensive services for private residences. A trusted media source, Toombs is quoted in notable outlets including the Huffington Post, the Associate Press, and Realtor.com. She and the company were featured on MSNBC's Your Business in a profile about the brand's business acumen. Toombs resides in Lexington, Kentucky, where she is very involved in giving back to the community through the Junior League and other local charities. She created the Mary Estes Memorial Scholarship in honor of her mother, who passed away from cancer in 2012. The scholarship is awarded annually to a University of Kentucky College of Agriculture, Food, and Environment student who has lost a parent from cancer. Toombs enjoys exercising, spending time on Lake Cumberland, and almost always has a book in her hands. She shares her home with her husband, Billy, and their frequently Instagrammed dog, Bartlett. So let's talk with Liz about her niche and how she got into interior design. You're now listening to Design Curious, a place where you, creative one, are here to learn about what it really is like to be an interior designer. And I'm your host and mentor, Rebecca Ward. If you're worried about how to succeed in a creative career, if you're ready to learn your next steps to become an interior designer, and if you want the satisfaction of doing something you love every day, you are in the right place. Grab a coffee, a notebook, and let's dig into today's episode. Hi, Liz. Welcome to Design Curious. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I'm really curious about your story, and I want to hear all about it. So why don't you start by telling our listeners the name of your company and where you're designing out of? Yeah, sure. So the name of my company is PDR Interiors. We are based in Kentucky, so we've got an office in Lexington and in Louisville. I have a small team, but we do sorority house designs, and we do those on college campuses across the country. Wow, that is such a specific niche. I love that. How did you get into that? Oh, gosh. That's always like the million-dollar question, isn't it? So the short version is through a business contact of my husband's, I was asked to do a fraternity house to help them with a space update. And then word of mouth from there, 
another organization, a women's organization on the same campus, which was the University of Kentucky. They heard about me. So they called and asked for my help. And then from there, I have just built relationships at local and national levels and parlayed it into a niche market that I really love because I was Greek in college. And so um, I can see the benefits and understand the value of housing supporting that college experience. Right. So do you reach back to your college times and you're thinking about your whole experience as you went through that, the Greek housing and everything like that, the maybe frustrations that you ran into, or what was it like for you at that time? I loved the house. I thought it was amazing to have this big house where I could hang out with all of my friends and I could go once a week for dinner when I wasn't living in the house. And then I could go for lunch and dinner every day when I was living in the house. That was awesome for me. And then, you know, we'd have the TV room where we would all pile in to watch TV shows. Now all the women get in there and they watch The Bachelor. At the time, it was more like trading spaces, like the first run. Um, And actually that was part of the inspiration of my story is I was watching, do you remember Vern Yip on the show? Yeah. I think it was Vern. I may remember that part wrong, but either way, somebody did a sorority house on one of the episodes. And I was like, there is no way that people get paid to do sorority houses. Like (laughs) no way. And then anyway, it just obviously planted a seed for me. And here we are all these years later. Wow. That's so how do you get paid? Like, is there a budget that sorority houses have that they can plan for updating the house each year or every couple of years or How do you work with that on the business side for you? (laughs) Yes, that is a good question. So yes, there is a budget and how often a house gets updated really varies on what size that budget is and kind of what kind of level of quality can go in. But yes, they, they look at it as a business and they figure out how often they need to be replacing things to stay competitive on campus Mm. for recruitment, but also to serve the needs of their members because those needs change. Things change over time. How the women use the space changes. You know, you obviously have to have sleep, study, eat spaces. You want hangout spaces. So yeah. So anyway, that budget is all um, brought to me and my team and we figure out how to allocate it to the best possible uses. So it is a a residential house, but do you at all look at it as though it's a semi-commercial space because so many people are coming through and using it? Do you have higher quality fabrics and furniture because of that? Mm -hmm, Totally. So it definitely has to look like a home and feel like a home, but it has to perform on a commercial level, just like you're saying, but it doesn't necessarily, they don't want it to look like a hotel, if you will. So we have to figure out some ways to kind of get the commercial durability in and get all that high quality, but then also make it feel as comfortable as if you were going home to see your parents for the weekend. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So when you were in the sorority house yourself and you're watching trading spaces and you're like, no, no way anyone gets paid for that. Was that like a a planting a seed for you of like, I would love to do that if someone could get paid well to do that? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, that was like a moment of thinking I could be a personal shopper, right? Like people get paid to shop for other people. That was my own personal moment of, oh my gosh, like that does not exist except on TV. But it does. And uh, there is a need for it. And there is, you know, a good group of us out there that that do this kind of work solely. And a lot of designers have done one or two here or there. But um, that is about 90% of what my team does. And so it's a focus and a, a decided focus that we have we have chosen. 
Okay. So before you fell into this niche, how did you come about with PDR and develop your business and what was your education and everything? Yeah. So what I did was a little bit less of the traditional route. So I majored in merchandising, apparel, and textiles. I was very clear when I went into college and I went to meet with my advisor, the things that interested me, you know, interior design was great. I loved it. I love fashion, but I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do with all of it. So she suggested I take a class in this at the time we called it Matt for merchandising apparel and textiles. And I loved it. It was all about, we had, you know, fiber content classes. We really got in there and learned about fabrics. There obviously was a retail component with that Mm -hmm. merchandising part of things. And so I just, I enjoyed that. And I went that route the interior design program being a little bit more architecture focused was Mm -hmm. not my personal forte and not what I wanted to get into. That's why I went the route I did. And then once I graduated, I worked in sales for a little bit for a countertop company and got my feet wet on the sales side of things, which I know so many people are just really averse to selling, right? right? It makes them nervous. They feel like it's sleazy. It's not, I'll promise you folks, if you can sell (laughs) something, you can make it in any possible way. Yeah. So yeah, so I did that. And uh, a lot of my customers were design firms and they were contractors. And so I started to see that side of the business and really take an interest in it. And so I went to work for one of my customers that had a design franchise here in Lexington and did a certified interior decorators Mm -hmm. course with that program or that um, company. Mm -hmm. And I still keep that certification up today, but that was my path to getting here. And then in 09, that company closed, you know, we had the recession, right? Luxury businesses weren't always doing really well. So they closed up and I went out on my own. Okay. Wow. So then how did you grow your business over that time? Because you started in the recession, basically. I mean, I did the same thing. (laughs) So how did you start getting clients? Well, the only way to go after a recession is up, in my opinion. Uh (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I chose to start without, I didn't want any investors. I didn't want to take out a loan. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I obviously was known in the profession already, just under a different company name. And I was doing a lot of networking locally. I was a part of um, B&I, Business Mm -hmm. Networking International. Are you familiar with that? I am. Yeah. Okay. So I was involved in that at the time. And so I just started, you know, to ask for referrals for what I wanted um, with my own business and started to get them. And then I would take my money from projects, invest it back in more marketing and networking and pay myself a little bit and just let it snowball from there. It was slow growth, but it was growth that I was proud of and that I was comfortable with because I wasn't putting me and my husband too much at risk by getting us into a ton of debt. Instead, I was Mm -hmm. just working with what money was coming in at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So have you tried anything in your business that hasn't worked well as you've been growing? Yeah, I'm sure that I have. And now I have to think about what it is because I tend to be harder on myself than somebody else would be. So there were things that I've done, like whatever the latest thing is. And I'll be like, oh, I could do that. Or I'll try that. You know, then you end up bouncing around a lot Mm -hmm. instead of just staying in your lane, owning what you're good at and focusing on that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something as 
business owners, especially new business owners, we tend to want to grab at anything that we can get job wise. And that's okay to an extent because you have to experience certain clients or certain projects to know that that's not really what you want to get into, but you can't keep that up forever. And so as soon as I learned that lesson of, you know, I just need to let it go. I want to lean into the sorority work. We still have our great residential clients we work with, but I'm not necessarily out there trying to take anyone and everyone as a client. That was good. Like I learned from my, my mistakes there. Mm -hmm. Um, Something else I did was I was like, I want to write a book because I'm an avid reader. And, you know, I wanted to share all my knowledge and different things. And I just, I couldn't get it right, Rebecca. Like I just, I wasn't happy with what I was putting out and I still have the manuscript and it's still there. And I think one day I'll come back to it, Yeah, but I just, for whatever reason, it wasn't the right time. So I don't know if you count that as something I've done wrong (laughs) or mistake. I kind of do, but then I also try to give myself some grace and say like, it just, it was the timing. Yeah. Before the call, we were talking about how you have a person helping you out right now. Are you mentoring this individual in your firm right now? Yes, we actually have two student workers. Okay. So typically what happens is we offer like a summer internship for somebody in the interior design program. Historically, they've come from the University of Kentucky, but it's open to any university, any school. And um, they work with us for the summer. And if that goes well, then they have the opportunity to start working with us part-time in the fall. And that role is called project assistant. Because what I try to do is to give them the opportunity to move up and be promoted within the company because they're not getting a lot of work experience otherwise. And I think that's really valuable on their resume to show that they made an increase during their time here. Oh, that's really smart. Yeah. Yes. So long story short, I have a student that just started today. She is a freshman. This is the first time I've ever brought a freshman on, but I think she's going to be a really great addition. And so she's interning. And then our intern from this past summer, she has moved into the project assistant role. And so she's here in the office today doing some drawings and pulling some things together. Wow. How big is your firm then? It is so small. It's the three of us that I just mentioned. And then I have one other designer who is in the Louisville area. So it's small on purpose. It's a little more manageable that way. Yeah. So how long then do you keep these project assistants with you on the job? Like it's not a never ending position, right? (laughs) So Right. Yeah. So it depends on where they are in their college career. Personally, I enjoy bringing in interns in their sophomore year. Um, right for their sophomore year, because that gives us some more time together if it goes well. Because the last project assistant I had, she started as an intern. She was with us two and a half years uh, because she came early. And so that was so great because I think the reason a lot of firms shy away from getting interns is because you feel like by the time you get them up to speed with your processes, they're leaving. They're already going on to something else. And if you're not in a position that you want or need to hire them full time, you're just kind of stuck. And so you feel like you've put all this time in and you're not really, you know, getting much from it or you feel like you're too busy. And so this is kind of my way of combating that, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, that's great. I love seeing other designers give to the new generation coming through and passing on all the things that you're learning and kind of help fast track their careers, which is great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's what's great about you doing this podcast is you're <laughs> helping anybody at, at whatever point in their life to learn about the profession and learn about the different facets of it. I shared with you before we recorded, it's now part of my intern orientation that they have to listen to your um, design internship do's and don'ts because I thought you had some really valuable advice in there. And I couple that with the book, Great on the Job, who I had heard that author, Jody Glickman, speak on a different podcast. And I am obsessed with this book. Like really? everything in it is so valuable. I used to teach a soft skills class at the University of Kentucky. And it's just all of those things. College is great for teaching you your craft, but they're yeah. not great at teaching you those soft skills. And this book, and then I think your podcast are so valuable to go hand in hand for the interns that come through my company. That is great. I'm going to go check out that book right after we get off this call. Yes, I highly recommend it. I bought a whole box of them to give away because I, I'm so obsessed oh, with it. That's great. Um, I want to touch on, you just said that you taught soft skills at the college. Can you explain what that term is and what kind of skills you were actually teaching? Yes, absolutely. I realize when I say that it's not always clear. So some of the very specific things that we talked about was um, networking. So the, the students would pick a profession that they were interested in and find someone um, locally that they could sit down and have coffee with or interview. And I had a lot of great contacts from my network that stepped up and they said, hey, we will meet with these kids. And they came away with so much valuable information about understanding their career or their, their desired career, I should say. We talked about that. We talked about appropriate workplace attire and mm. how it's not one size fits all. And there still are some rules that do apply to everything. So we tried to kind of give them preparation for that. Mm -hmm. We talked about when it's appropriate to make a phone call versus an email versus texting someone in the oh, business yeah. world. That's really good. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's an age bracket of, of people that I think want to just automatically go to text, but you yeah. lose tone of voice and you lose some context there. And there can be a lot of confusion between text and email mm -hmm. where if you pick up the phone, you, you can really solve things a lot quicker. Yeah. But yeah, it was those types of things that we went over. We even had a speaker come in and talk about how to have difficult conversations in the mm. workplace. And we had some scenarios just to try to prep these students for, you know, sometimes you have to have uncomfortable conversations and these are some of the best yeah. ways you could approach those. Yeah. Yeah. Guaranteed you will have uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. With clients, oh. with vendors, with coworkers. It's yeah. going to be all around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. What a really great class. I wish every student had to take that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well. yeah. I yeah. do too. It's that stuff I needed to know getting out and I learned over time. And so I just wanted to try to get it back into school. Yeah. Wonderful. So over the last couple of years, the industry has been changing, you know, with um, the pandemic and all those things. How has it changed for you? Has your niche with the sororities uh, been affected at all? Yes, it's definitely been affected. I think where I saw it the most was early on the concerns that there was, because just like you said, there is a budget associated with these houses. And when you had to shut down schools and send everyone home from campuses, suddenly the funds that you're relying upon to come in for students paying for that housing, and then you use that money to keep up the house, those funds stopped for a minute. And we were all yeah. very unsure when that was going to come back and, and start flowing again. So we saw a little bit there, 
But fortunately, I've seen that the Greek system hasn't slowed down since then because now people are really clamoring for camaraderie Mm. and being together and gathering. And they want that place to belong even more so than they did pre-COVID. Right. So in that regard, things are are going really well. And were you Greek in college? Do you have a familiar? I was not, but I had some friends who were, yeah. Okay. So you maybe know a little bit about it, but so recruitment usually is the end all be all as far as you want the house in tip top shape because you're going to have these potential new members coming through. So you want to show it off. That over the years has changed some on different campuses. They try to level the playing field by removing some of the decorative items so that it's really more about the members and and the people in it. But for the campuses that everything does stay in the house, it's usually you want it sparkling and looking amazing. And something that COVID did do was it caused people to slow down with all of these supply chain issues and Mm. these delays. Everyone involved in these housing projects realized we're going to get it when we're going to get it. Yeah. We're going to have to figure out how to recruit without, you know, it just, it can't be about the house. It can't be about the stuff and we're going to be okay. You know, a lot of worse things have happened and we're going to be fine. And so I really appreciate that level of patience that has come out of it. And now, whereas usually the summer would be the only time we would be installing these projects because the students would be out of school. Now we have them trickle more throughout the year. And selfishly, from a scheduling standpoint, it's lovely because I'm able to spread out my travel some more. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. Are you doing primarily furnishings or do you do any remodels of like the bathrooms and kitchens and things like that? All of that. So we don't tend to get into the kitchens because they are more commercial kitchens. And so I don't say much in that regard. Um, We will do like the night kitchens or, you know, the little serveries, things like that. But yes, the bathrooms, new construction, any kind of renovation in addition, as well as just updating furnishings and um, soft goods. Yeah. And has that taken you outside of your region? Do you, have you been designing all over the country or are you getting yes. more interested? Yeah, we have a map that we keep in our office just to keep, it's just a fun little reminder. So we have done projects on campuses, over 90 campuses in oh like goodness. 25 plus states. So wow. we've been out your way in California. We've been up to New York, down to Florida and everywhere in between. Wow, that's great. And then you you travel to each of these locations. I mean, I'm sure you can do a lot remotely, but yes, you see the finished product for sure. <laughs> yes, in most instances we do. So we usually try to go on two trips. We try to go out for what we call our scoping trip where we get all the information we need and measurements and meet with people. And then everything else is done remotely, all of our meetings, all of our design work. And then we go back to oversee the installation and just make sure everything that we envisioned and the client wanted is what is happening. Mm -hmm. Do you see your company growing more than what you're doing now, like having more employees? Or do you think you're at a sweet spot? You know, I feel like I'm in a sweet spot. We have had more people before and it's fine, but I find that then I get pulled a little bit thin because I'm not able to do as much design work as I enjoy doing and I'm having to manage people more. And that is something that you really have to think about when you're running a business is why are you running this business? Is it because you just want to be like visionary, top level management, that type of stuff? Is it that you want to get in there and do the nitty gritty work all the time? Because there is a difference between those two things. And my husband and I talk about this a lot, that it's weird to us that 
in, I don't know if it's American culture, or if it's just business culture in general, but when somebody's good at their job, the way that you are rewarding them is by making them manage other people doing the job. And that's not necessarily what they're good at. And so I think you really have to know yourself as a professional and just as a general person and know what you want to get out of that. Yeah. So good. Cause you think about going up the ladder in a company, it takes you out of the craft and Mm -hmm. that might be what, I mean, some people will find that they do enjoy that management and the upper level management and things like that. Yeah. But initially they're in there because of the craft and they take that away. Maybe they lose the passion for the job. Yeah, Yeah. you're exactly right. And nobody can answer that for you. You have to know what you want out of that. So I have learned over the years, I like a relatively smaller team. I want us to all be there to be able to help each other, but it doesn't need to be massive. And I think we've hit a good point right now. Good. Do you know of other designers who have the same niche that you could refer people to if you like were overstretched or had too many projects on the inquiries? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's a good question. Um, so there are a few of us that do focus and the situation has not come up where we've had to refer to each other. Most of the clients are actually aware of us, oh, okay. um, but I'm not opposed to it. I do that with my residential work. If we're stretched too thin, we have some good people locally that we happily refer to and the client's are thrilled for the recommendation because yeah. if they come to us, it's usually by referral. And so then they, they trust our opinion. And I really value that. I appreciate you asking that because not everyone in this industry is so generous that they would want to refer the past business to someone else. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I always love having a resource of designers. I can refer clients or potential clients to, if I'm just like, I can't, I'm at capacity yeah. right now, but I know another great designer and you know, we're all there's enough for everybody. We're all in this together. So it's just like, let's share. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you. And then in the end, you're still looking out for the client's best interest because it's not about you and you just telling them no and walking away. You're helping them get connected to someone who can assist them. Exactly. Yeah. And I even learned that as I was, you know, starting out, definitely a generalist, like doing all the things, commercial, residential. And then eventually I was like, I'm not great. Like it's not my wheelhouse to do the commercial design. So I started getting a group of designers that I could refer that out to because I'm like, I'm not doing the client a service. If I give them mediocre design work and commercial where it's, you know, they're going to do better with someone who specializes in it. So you are exactly right. And I, I totally believe in what goes around comes around. And like you said, there is plenty of work for all of us. And so, um, there's no need to act out of a mentality of scarcity. Exactly. hundred percent. Okay, good. Any other advice you have for people starting out on their own with a small business or just into the career? Oh, gosh, I think just, you know, get to know people in the profession, you know, just like you and I talking, I learned so much from other folks in in the industry. And you know, you and I met through Toby Fairley's coaching and Mm -hmm. design you and now I'm doing some continued stuff with her. And I do get so much value from hearing what other people are doing. Not Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to copy it, but because I realize I'm not alone in either my struggles or my questions or these ideas that I'm having. And so I get some validation in in that camaraderie and then I feel more empowered to go forward. So I would definitely encourage people to feed off of other folks. They could just be other creatives in general. It doesn't have to be someone in your exact line of work or your Mm -hmm. direct competition, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Do I remember that you had a podcast going? Do yes. you still do that? I do. Yes. Oh, okay. I took a little bit of a break for uh-huh. the summer installs, but yes, my podcast is called Sorority Chat and okay. we'll be coming back here in the fall. And we talk about, it's everything related to sorority housing, decorating and beyond. And so I'm really big on leadership. I love hearing about those topics and there's a lot of that that ties into sorority stuff. So we, we come back to that quite a bit as well. So yes, thank you for letting me talk about that. Oh yeah. We'll definitely have a link in the show notes for that. Is that then uh, geared towards Greek life or is it for designers It is geared towards Greek life. So anybody like students or alumni or national housing offices, anybody involved in kind of the sorority housing side of things. We also have a course called Interior Decorating 101 Sorority Edition, and that is geared towards like local house core boards running a house, although it has been suggested that maybe I tweak it a little bit because there is some interest from other designers and wanting to get some knowledge of how to appropriately serve that market. So that's something we're toying with. Okay. Really interesting. Well, we can put a link to that too. And where's, uh, where can people find you on your website and socials? Yeah. So the website is pdr-interiors.com and we are on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok and it's at PDR Interiors. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Liz, for coming on and sharing your knowledge. And I just loved hearing your story and such a unique niche to discover. Yes. Well, thank you. I always enjoy talking with you and um, I appreciate you making time for me. Yeah. Talk to you later. So I hope you found that as interesting as I did. It just goes to show you that You can use your own life experiences to really speak to your client. It gives them confidence that you understand where they're coming from and what they're going through. And niche down into something that will really serve them and that you really enjoy. Stay tuned for next week's episode of Design Curious Podcast. As always, you can find the show notes and links to all the things that we've talked about in the podcast, especially the book that she shared with us. I'll be going and purchasing that right away. And you will want to do. All those details can be found in the show notes at rwarddesign.com forward slash podcast. And if you would like to be a guest on the show, go ahead and apply there. We would love to hear your origin story. And if you are a curious creative looking to discover if interior design is the right career for you, then stay tuned for next week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode, please leave a rating and a review. This helps me reach other curious creatives like you. If you have a topic request or would like to contact me, simply head over to my website, rwarddesign.com or email me at podcast at rwarddesign.com.